This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, the Penrith Panthers have been naughty boys. The Aussie women come out on top in the cricket. Chest mate. Hmm. And we finish our two-part preview of the NBA season. Hell of a lot to get through once again, Stewie. Let's go. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, the 12th of October. The Socceroos are fresh off a 2-1 loss to Japan. So thus the streak is over. As we do at the top every week, Stewie, what caught your attention and what did you miss? Well, what caught my attention is you trying to pass off 8.28 as 8.30. <laughs> You're always such a stickler for time. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> no, look, a few things this week. We've, we've got to start off with the Penrith Panthers. Uh, it seems they've been partying just a little bit too yes, hard. Yes, indeed. A bit too hard. Yes. They've managed to break the Proven Summons trophy with the little figurine on top being snapped off. Mm. Probably something that happened to us many a time in June. <laughs> yes, but our trophies were plastic. The little plastic ones. You'd, you'd lose an arm or a leg somewhere along the, the way. I had an old table one where it lost the bat. <laughs> so it was just... I'm so jealous of anyone who got to play table. Right? I never got into that. Never no, got into good it. fun. But no, look, we've seen a number of instances in the past where players have dropped trophies or sometimes even members of the front office that, yes, have, that, indeed, have, been, yeah. that have been up there. Yeah, yeah. But the league is pissed about this, seriously. Mm, mm. I've heard reports repairs could be upwards of 30 grand, which is utterly ridiculous. Wow. Does the club foot the bill or should the players who have won just the third premiership in club history, I will point out, the first in 18 years, should they be footing the bill? Wow. Probably the club, and then the club decides whether the players do or... Pay cut. <laughs> they probably... Uh, but can they work out who, who it was, though? Or do they even know who it was? Oh, I don't think they've got any idea. Yeah. The club should foot the bill, though. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But is it a case of they foot the bill initially and then pass it on? Well, that's it's, the thing. It's a, it's a tough question. That's the $30,000 question. Oh, true. it is. <laughs> <laughs> now, a couple of things I also noticed was just relating to things on streaming platforms... So there was an ad for something that I saw that's quite significant to us. Oh? We started recording this podcast during the first massive wave of COVID when the entire world of sport kind of came to a halt. And Foxtel have actually just released a film called The Day Sports Stood Still, which is talking about how COVID's changed professional and college sports and the whole social justice and police reform stage that followed that. I mean, it looks fascinating. I'm probably going to see if I can check that out. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, I'd love to see that. hard without Foxtel, but yes. <laughs> mum and dad have still got well, it. So. Well, there's a way. Absolutely. And then on top of that, Netflix have released a six-part series called Bad Sport, which looks at some of the biggest scandals in sport. You've got the 1994 Arizona State point-shaving scandal, which I think we've spoken about yes. in the past. Yeah, yeah. Former Sydney King Isaac Burton, yep. amongst yep. others. You've got Hansi Cronje's match-fixing allegations. You've the got, devil you've made me do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he did. (laughs) And then we've got figure skating judges at the 2002 Winter Olympics being pressured to give Russia better scores than Canada. So there's a lot of... Oh, okay. Yeah, a lot of that sort of stuff. So that looks really interesting. It's a six-part series, so you don't have to invest too much time in it. Great. And then the last thing I noticed was a couple of US Open success stories have kind of found out that life isn't so easy when you're the hunted. <laughs> Raducanu. <laughs> yes, Emma Raducanu. 6-2-6-4, she was done in the first round of Indian Wells by Alexandra Sasnovich of Belarus. And then you also had Botic van der Zanschulp, who lost 6-7-6-2-6-4 to American Marcus Giron. They actually put Raducanu on centre court and she never got into this match. Stasnovich chased down everything. She just would bide her time in these rallies and then just launch a forehand or a very timely lob. One thing I noticed is that Raducanu cannot jump. Ah, interesting. She has, yeah, really, really no timing when it comes to her jump. So. Well, this is kind of the benefit of being brand new when no one knows. No one, no one can scout you. Yep. 
So as you say, now that she's hunted, they can scout her and there's more and more footage of her playing. So now they can really pick out her weaknesses, like you say, if it's mm. her athleticism in the air, then yeah, why not? And it will be interesting to see, obviously we've got the Australian Open hopefully coming up in just a few months' time. How about yourself, mate? Well, first one's a bit weird. So one of my favourite bands, one of their guitarists, Richie Faulkner, had an aortic aneurysm, which is basically his heart exploding. While he was on stage... And it happened during a solo that he played impeccably. So even though his bloody heart exploded while he was on stage, he still finished the song, they finished the concert, and then he went to hospital. But Nathan, Judas Priest isn't sport. Ah, yes, indeed. And I was beginning to think, now how the fuck am I going to squeeze this in? And then, thank you, Super 70 Sports on Twitter, because literally on Friday night I saw, and I quote, in 1972, Flyers goalie Bruce Gamble had a fucking heart attack in the first period, shrugged that shit off, stayed in the game, and beat the Canucks 3-1. So maybe play through your next injury, Buttercup. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, it, it's funny, but there's a lot of... Pressure. But yeah, but Richie... Yeah. And sorry, I didn't, did I not say Judas Priest? But Richie played through the, the solo impeccably, and you can see on his face where it happened, but he still played perfectly. It's amazing. See, I struggled to notice that because it looks like he sort of has a moment where he's like, ooh. Something's not quite exactly, right. but his fingering on the guitar, his playing is still perfect. Yeah, but he, but he doesn't sort of you don't sort of see his eyes widen. No, like, no, I'm dying. It's subtle. Here. Like, it's, it's very subtle. So yeah. Ooh. So he then had ten hour open heart surgery. But the best thing about it, he was playing the song Painkiller. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make this. We shit can up. laugh because he survived. Yeah, well that's right. Ooh. He did. He survived. So. Yeah, so luckily I had that little connection there. But anyway, in the sports world, so obviously Tyson Fury beat Deontay Wilder in what's being talked about as an absolute all-timer in heavyweight championship circles. And then a couple of quick things from the NFL. So Urban Meyer has been a naughty boy. There's been a tape that's been circulating of him and a young woman he at a He was bar. just sitting there. <laughs> yes. And she was just rubbing up against his crotch. Yes. Uh, John Gruden stepped down after some old emails and yeah. read their ugly head. Jesus, that was kind of pointed, wasn't it? In, I think, year three of a 10-year contract, too. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. No, that one's that one's difficult because I loved him as a commentator for Monday Night Football. So Yeah, but you've, you've just, you can't be putting out homophobic and racist. Oh, no, yeah, no. It's inexcusable. But on the field, the Bills have outscored their last four opponents by 115 points. They're four and one. And if they hadn't blown their opening night game against a pretty average Steelers team, it's got to be said, they'd actually be five and oh. They're perhaps the best team in the league, but had they been five and oh, they would definitely be considered the best team in the league, I think. But this is after going into Arrowhead and beating Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs 38 to 20. So many think that they are the best team. Mahomes alone has had six turnovers in the last three games, including five interceptions. But what I wanted to concentrate on was that punt, Michael Dixon for the Seattle Seahawks. And, oh, fantastic. I know you've seen the footage, Chewie. The first one, yes, was a punt. Do you call Do you call the second one a punt? I well, mean, it was like a snap. This was it? a snap around yeah, the corner. Yeah. It was like Eddie Betts from the pocket, yeah, basically. Yeah, it was yeah. And they're losing their mind in America, of course. But the pickup prior to the kick oh. was really impressive. So he's he's had his punt blocked. He scooped it up with one hand, kind of shimmied around the defenders a bit, and then snapped it. And it was a decent kick as well. Like, it went a decent... That was what impressed me the most, was he snapping around the corner with that top spin. You often lose a lot of your distance. And he's punted that thing from, what, maybe the 20-yard line down to... Like, it got basically down to the 10-yard line. Oh, yeah, it's a field. great kick, yeah. It's massive. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And it, was a, it was a really interesting game too. Like Russell Wilson got injured, but 
Geno Smith did actually did all right um, as his backup. So the Rams did win that one. But yeah, it was a cracking game and what a highlight. And that was all over American media. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I didn't end up getting to see any of the first T20 between Australia and India live. But given the game was called off thanks to some pretty shit-ass weather, to be fair, yeah, didn't really matter too much, I guess. No, up north there, yeah, it was mm. terrible weather. How about yourself, mate? Uh, I missed the first innings of the last T20, but I did catch the India batting innings. Oh, cool. So, yes, we'll, we'll hopefully be able to talk about that today. Absolutely. So, Shui, let's get stuck into part two of our NBA preview with the season, well, at time of release of this episode, less than a week away. Well, I actually went back and was listening to uh, preseason stuff from last year. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Just today, actually. Yep. And one of the things that really stood out to me was when we were talking about the Lakers, we were mentioning, oh, my God, they're so old. They're so old. They're so old. <laughs> yeah. They got older. Oh, they sure did. Oh, my God. They sure did. They sure did. But I think it's probably a better team now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, a couple of things quickly. So DeAndre Ayton has not been offered a max extension by the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Robert Sava and the Suns back up to their old tricks. I think it's fucking madness. The salary cap's due to go up with a new TV deal coming. Plus, it would be a tradable contract anyway. So just sign him a bloody extension. And if you don't want to keep him on max, trade him. I don't understand why they didn't copy what Denver did with Michael Porter Jr. and just incentive base it. Yeah, look. Basically say if if you make it to All-NBA teams or All-Star games or finals or whatever it happens to be, this is the bonus you will get. Encourage the guy to keep playing at such a high level. And and why would you, why would you rock the boat with chemistry and mm. with pissing off stars when you're on the precipice potentially of another championship shot? Yep. It's just crazy. It is. And then the other one's Dewey, Ben Simmons. Uh, turns out he does like money after all. He's reported to camp. Who doesn't? <laughs> Who doesn't like Well, he's already lost more money in a few days than what we've, we'd struggle to make in a decade. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard knock life. It, it is. It, it really is. is. But apparently he's still not talking to certain people. So he's 25 mm. going on 14. So what it's going to make communicating on defense tricky, isn't it? <laughs> Lucky is a good defender. Now, just quickly before we get into the Northwest Division, just one of the things that I did notice, there are some new nicknames that have been given to some of their super teams. Now, LeBron's called himself Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook 360 because of the numbers on the jersey, 3-6 and 0. Oh, yes, because now he's 6 was always a part of him. Did you hear that when he changed his jersey to 6? He said that the number 6 was always a part of him. Cool. Yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I actually think that maybe the cynical ploy to sell more jerseys was always a part of him. But anyway, mm. yeah. I think my favourite one, though, has to be the Chicago Bulls fans giving DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball and Zach Levine the nickname DeBallzak. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Can't wait to see him in action. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. So starting with the Northwest Division, we had the Utah Jazz, 52-21st and 21st in the West. They lost to the LA Clippers in the second round. Their longest winning streak was 11 games in mid to late January. Then they had one loss. Then they rattled off another nine straight wins. Their longest losing streak was just two on five separate occasions. I think they'll be right up there once again, Shui. Well, yeah. I mean, when you look at the ins and outs, so they've lost Derek Favors, Ersan Ilyasova, and Georges Niang, your favorite player. <laughs> He's handy. He's handy. But when you look at who they brought in, so Hassan Whiteside, Eric Pascal, and Rudy Gay, that's a very, upgrades. very good three-for-three three trade. Absolutely. They've already got Rudy Gobert, who All-NBA defensive first team of the last five years. Then they get Hassan Whiteside. Did you know that among guys with at least 1.3 blocks per game last season, 
Only Daniel Gafford and Goga Batadze averaged fewer minutes per game. I did not know that. I would be very impressed if you knew that. Yes. It's a very specific stat. <laughs> but look, obviously we know that Utah has scoring, the fourth best points per game average in the league, fifth best shooting percentage, third best from three. Does this team, if it stays healthy, say conference finals or bust? I think they would have to say that to themselves. Absolutely. Because, especially because of all the injuries to some of the other teams, they'd be crazy not to. They lost Boyan Bogdanovic for a fair chunk of the season last year. So, you know, they, they had to deal with players being out. Mike Conley, I think, was out for a decent bit as well. Yeah, so. yeah, on a couple of occasions. And he also had the birth of a child as well that he left the team for. Yeah, I, I think they'll be red-hot chance to be the best record in the league, actually. Mm. I think they're very deep. I think they can actually wear the injuries. So if they lost Mitchell, Conley can play point guard, for example. Or they even have guys like Jingles who can play make. I think Rudy Gay is a really good inclusion for them. I really loved what he did at the Spurs. Just really professional, you know, gets the job done, is very hungry for a championship. So absolutely, yeah, they have to be thinking in those terms. And you add that to a bench that already has Jordan Clarkson on it, who we know can fill it up. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think this is the year that Utah says we should be aiming for the finals. It's their absolutely. best, yeah, it's their best chance since 98. Yep, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Next, we had the Denver Nuggets, 47-25, and 25, good for third in the West. They lost in the second round to the Phoenix Suns after a horrible injury to Murray, which still breaks my heart. Their longest winning streak was eight in late March to early April. Their longest losing streak was three in early February after a postponement, which arguably affected their momentum because they'd won six out of seven prior to that. Still had a very good season, though. Okay. I don't particularly like the offseason from Denver. They lose Shaquille Harrison, JaVale McGee, and Paul Millsap, and they bring back Jeff Green and Tariq Black. Not exactly great swaps there. I've got a few different questions about Denver, though. So, obviously, you know Jamal Murray until right around playoff time. Without him, do you think Denver looks like an also-round? Without him, they are. But I think they're good enough to still make the playoffs without him. And then with him, anything can happen. So, yeah, I think that their goal is just to weather the storm while Murray's out and hope that they can put it all together when he gets back. But it's a great opportunity for Michael Porter Jr. to take the next step. He's been dying for it. So this is a really great chance for him to show everyone what he's made of. And and, uh, without Murray... Some teams would really struggle without a point guard, but of course, Jokic is a point centre, so they've still got playmaking. Yeah, they've got plenty of decent sort of point guards. I mean, they've got Monty Morris, they've got Faku Campazzo. They've got a lot of those guys. But it's funny, you mentioned Michael Porter Jr. I was actually going to ask that as the next question. Who is the guy that steps up? Is it Porter Jr.? He's just signed that big contract. It's all incentive-based. Yeah, so he's it's got that definitely reason. him. It's definitely him. So it's not Aaron Gordon? Aaron Gordon will still be really important, but I think it's better not to put too much pressure on Gordon, even though he's older than Porter Jr. But Porter Jr. has this thirst to be the, the man anyway. So show us what you got. Gordon has a lot to prove, though. He had a very subpar playoff series last season. He really did. He really did. I just feel like he hit form at the wrong time. And I think with a training camp and a full season in a Nuggets uniform, I'm not too worried about that. Do you think they miss out on home court advantage, though? Uh, almost certainly. Yep. It would be very hard to finish top four without Murray for most of the season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think realistically fourth, fifth is maybe as good as they can do. Yeah, I'm going to try and avoid putting every team in fourth or fifth like I did <laughs> no, last no, no. week. Fourth, fourth and fifth is going to be... <laughs> but everyone. I think this time, yeah, I think this time. And they might be a buyout market candidate too. You so, know, will John Wall finish in Houston? 
there's a few teams I could see John Wall sl- slotting into, Denver being one of them without Murray. So, yeah, buyout market candidates. Oh, that's going to be fascinating. Yeah, this year, the it really will. It really will. Next, we have the team that lost to Denver, Portland Trailblazers, 42 and 30, which was good enough for sixth in the West. Their longest winning streak was six in mid-February. Their longest losing streak was five in late April. A lot of ins and outs this season. Yeah, they do. They so do. they've lost Carmelo Anthony. They've lost Ennis Cantor, Zach Collins, Harry Giles, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, and Derek Jones Jr. In terms of ins, Marquise Chris, Quinn Cook, Ben McLemore, Larry Nance Jr., Patrick Patterson, Dennis Smith Jr., Tony Snell, and Cody Zeller. Oh, a lot of change. Mm, not as much as the Lakers, but it's no, pretty but close. Yeah, yeah. A lot of role players changing. A lot. Now, the big question, which is one that everyone's sort of asking, is this the year that Lillard and McCollum finally gets broken up? I don't know. I mean, I, I still think McCollum Simmons is a good trade possibility, but a lot of people are saying Portland wouldn't do that. Well, so well, let, let me put this into perspective, though. So obviously we know that Simmons and Embiid are the duo that kind of gets scrutinised under that microscope. But Lillard and McCollum are probably a very close second. They've lost in the first round five of the last seven years. They don't tend to match up well against any team in a seven-game series. I just, like, I go back to that New Orleans series. I think it was a 3-6 a few years back where Anthony Davis just tore them a new one and they swept them from the six. Yeah. It just, I don't know what it is, but Portland never seems, like, the only team they seem to match up well against is OKC, (laughs) which is, you know, I'm still bitter about that series. But... I just, I don't know. They're going to get better in terms of their shooting. They've got guys like, you know, Quinn Cook shot 46% from deep. Tony Snell. He's, Cook's probably my favourite addition. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I mean, Tony Snell's handy. He's, he's getting older. But yeah, he's handy. He's a good three-point shooter. He shot nearly 57% yeah. last year. Yeah, he didn't take many shots. He, three attempts a game. Yeah. Oh, okay. More he, than he I thought. Actually, okay. Yeah. More than I thought. I had the same thought going into it. I thought, what's the bet he's taking like 1.2 a game? It was like 3.3 or something like oh, that. So I remember we looked at that stat earlier last season, but obviously I've forgotten. Okay. I don't think okay. the, the totals weren't high because he only played 34 games. Ah, that's what it was. But, okay. Okay. But, but still, still, yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, they're going to get better defensively. Anthony and Cantor gone, who were traditionally screened. Screened off, yeah. Guys. Yep. Marquise Chris, decent shot blocker. Larry Nance Jr., solid player as well. Yep. No, I'm a big fan of Nance Jr. Like, it's probably the best bench that they've had for a long time. But, like, for me, the key is Nurkic. Yes. He has played more than 45 games only twice in the last yes. six seasons. He's yes. made of glass. Yep including just eight games two years ago with that broken leg, at his absolute best, he is potentially a game-altering two-way player. No, he's a very good big when he's available, but he's not always available. I suspect that this team will kind of finish around where they always do, Mm. and maybe there will be widespread change. Maybe the GM gets fired. Maybe the coach gets fired. I think they'll probably, yeah, yeah. You think they'll just stay pat? Probably. Probably. I mean, obviously, if they get a great offer, then it's possible one of those guys will get... I mean, Lillard might force his way out. That's still a possibility, too, that's been discussed. True. So, yeah, but I, I can't see them finishing much higher than sixth. Yeah. That's fair enough. Not not in the 4-5, no? Uh, oh, maybe in the 4-5. <laughs> Next, we have the Minnesota Timberwolves, 23-49, and 49, good enough for 13th in the West. Their longest winning streak was four in late April, two of which were against Utah, funnily enough. So, yes, that means the 23-49 and 49 Wolves handed the Jazz... 10% of their season's total losses. It's funny how sport goes sometimes. Really their longest losing streak was nine, which was mid-February to early March. It's going to be doldrums again for these T-Wolves. Yeah, I mean, okay, let's let's quickly run through their, their transactions. So Patrick Beverly, Torian Prince, Chris Silver, and former Sydney King Brian Bowen. Ah. The ins. There you go. 
They lose Jarrett Culver, Ed Davis, Juancho Hernan Gomez, and Ricky Rubio. Yes, the question is, how hard is this going to be to watch? Yeah, pretty, pretty hard. Pretty hard. But I think given, given the way the league is, it makes sense for a team like the Wolves to bide their time, keep losing, keep grabbing, grabbing draft picks, because there's a lot of the good teams are quite old. So I think you just got to hang around for a few seasons and then hope to peak in about three seasons. Interesting way to look at it. Yeah, obviously teams like the Lakers, Warriors aren't exactly getting any younger. Well, even Brooklyn is not. I mean, they're not ancient, but they're not spring chickens either. Mm. So that's kind of the view I have for a lot of the the lower teams in my Spurs included, to be honest. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Like for me, I want to believe that D'Angelo Russell is going to become a better leader this year. But I just, I don't believe in him as a person. Uh, He's not leadership material. Um, And the same goes for Malik Beasley as well. Yeah. Like, did he even end up serving any jail time for (sighs) shooting at someone? I don't know. I don't know. What's going on over there? Yeah. Weirdly, even though he was only a rookie last season, I think Edwards has to be possibly the man to kind of show leadership and take the team by the the reins. Well, the very next point I have is I I feel bad for him. Yeah, yeah. Because he showed such great signs last year, and losing is hard. It is hard. Like, it is, and it can become habit forming too. Well, and and this is the thing we've seen that with Carl Anthony Towns. He came out of college as a guy who was used to winning ninety percent well, of the game. College team, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But sometimes I wonder whether, yeah, all the losing has kind of caused Towns to not really care enough. And maybe it's just a job that pays well. For well, him. he's been through a lot the last 18 months. Yeah. A lot. Oh, ab- absolutely. But yeah. even before all of that, you know, it, it's one of those things where being in a losing environment probably maximizes his contract because they can throw as much money as they want at him because no one else is going to want to come and play in Minnesota because it's freezing. I really do like Towns. I, I hope this team is on the up and up soon. For his sake. It would be nice. Yeah. Then finally, in this division, we had the Oklahoma City Thunder, your team, Stewie, 22 and 50, which was 14th in the West. The longest winning streak was three in mid-January. The longest losing streak was 14. Then they had a win. Then they lost another nine on the trot. In fact, they only had two wins in their last 25 games. But, of course, that's the process. I'm disappointed at that. They won that much. I didn't want those two. All right, so not many big names here, unfortunately, but the outs, Tony Bradley, Moses Brown, Al Horford, and Svee Mikhailuk. The ins, Derek Favors, Josh Giddy, Trey Mann, DJ Wilson, and Mamadi Diakite. Mm. Yes, trust the process, Mark, too. Absolutely. And I'm glad that this flows on from our discussion about Minnesota because I do worry about losing for too long. How much longer can the process go on, Stewie? So how long did it go in Philly? About five years? I think that's roughly the time frame you've got to look at. You don't want these guys getting into, you know, the 26, 27-year-old range and still losing, yep. which is kind of where Carl Anthony Towns is at now. Yep. And, yeah, I think it's it's very much the same for this. You want guys – I mean, Giddy has just turned 19 the other day. You want to be winning by the time he's sort of 23, yep. 22, 23. Yep, yep. And, and it's possible. Oh, yeah, it it's, is possible. But they need possible. to start moving some of those picks, I think. Yeah, and look, I trust in Sam Presti. I feel like he has a plan in place somewhere down the track. I feel like he's kind of got that Danny Ainge mindset. I don't know what it is, but... Oh, I like Presti too, former Spurs uh, front office guy. So, yeah, I, I hope that... I mean, he's played his cards pretty well over the years. And look, we talked about DeAndre Ayton. Like, he would go, oh, we'll take him, thanks. If you don't want him, Phoenix, we'll pay him, Max. Sure, yeah. he have some draft picks. Yep. So, yeah. 
My question, though, with this team, Josh Giddy won't win Rookie of the Year. No. Is he a chance for a rookie first team, though? No, I don't think so. No? No. I, I, I don't know if he'll get enough minutes, and I think that the competition is pretty strong. You don't think he'll get enough minutes? In I, I don't know if he will. He might, but he okay. might not. He might not. I feel like he'll be averaging 28 minutes a game. Maybe it's possible, and I hope so. I hope I hope he does. I hope he does. I reckon it'll be closer to 18 to 20 a game. I think he'll start with Gilgis Alexander. I, I'd love to see that. I don't see. I, yeah, I hope so. Why, I hope so. I don't know why you'd bury him on the bench. Well, he's the like second that. youngest player in the league. They might want to ease him in a little bit. But hey, yeah, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he is starting, and I, I'd love to see him in. That'd be fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he'll be all rookie first day. I think he'll be fringe second player, though. Like, I think he'll, yeah, yeah, I think he'll be sort of halfway between the two. Yeah. That's much more realistic. There'll be other guys like Cam Thomas who are a little bit further down who will kind of potentially fill in that that gap and those sorts of guys. I mean, we saw one last year with Tyrese Halliburton who was drafted at 14, was one of the big candidates for Rookie of the Year. Yeah, There'll be players like that that will make their mark as well. So, yeah, I, I do agree with But you. there's a lot of guards and swings that were picked high in this draft and will have an impact. Absolutely. So he's got a lot of competition. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. And now... This week in sport history. October 12th, 1929, the Chicago Cubs blow an 8-0 lead starting the bottom of the seventh inning in Game 4 of the World Series against the then Philadelphia Athletics. The A's would score 10 runs to take the lead before the inning even finished, thanks largely to a couple of unlucky errors by centre fielder Hack Wilson. Hack by name, Hack by nature. Well, in this game, yeah. Because of the late afternoon sun, it had become very difficult to see the ball, with the sunset now directly over the two-tiered grandstand behind home plate. To that point, Wilson had had issues with a couple of fly balls, but no damage had been done. In the seventh inning, however, what seemed like regulation catches were lost in the sun on two separate occasions, allowing multiple runs to score. The Cubs used four different pitches in the innings, but gave up 10 hits, a walk, and a hit batter, leading to a 10-8 loss and a 3-1 series deficit, which very quickly became a 4-1 deficit the very next game, which of course means series over. After game four, a young fan came up to Cubs manager Joe McCarthy asking for a baseball and was told, I quote, come back tomorrow and stand behind Wilson. You'll be able to pick up all the balls you want. Ouch. Ouch, indeed. October 13th, 1984, Englishman John Lowe becomes the first ever player to achieve a live televised nine dart finish at the MFI World Match Play at the Fulcrum Centre in Slough. This means he achieved the magical 501 mark with the bare minimum of nine darts. Now, traditionally, most players would try to achieve this with treble 20s on their first six darts, leaving 141, and will often go treble 20, treble 19, and double 12 to finish. But Lowe opted for treble 17, treble 18, and double 18 to hit the mark, pocketing a £102,000 prize for being the first to achieve the feat. He would also go on to win the tournament, taking home another £12,000 for the win. Mm. Crazy that you would get more for that. I know. <laughs> it's, it's nuts. Speaking of things that tie into the Richie Faulkner story at the top, Shuey. October 14th, 1862, baseballer James Creighton ruptures his bladder while hitting a home run for the Excelsiors of Brooklyn, then tragically passing away four days later. But there's a lot more to this story. Creighton himself was a pitcher, and back in those days, pitchers would literally amble up to the mound and hurl the ball underarm, more like they were playing horseshoes or maybe even kind of like softball now, I guess. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Creighton decided to try doing it differently and took one step before throwing in a similar way to the way people pitch today. The problem was that in doing so, he included a lot of hip talk, which put a lot of pressure on his organs, and ultimately on that fateful day, he collapsed to the ground in pain after nailing a home run, but in spite of this, got up and completed the game. 
Apparently, all of this was caused by an inguinal hernia, which was entirely treatable, especially on a team like the Excelsiors, which was full of doctors. It is speculated, though, that the doctors put him at risk for the sake of winning baseball games, so essentially inventing the modern-day way of pitching actually killed one of baseball's first stars. Mm, it's, that is a very abridged version. That You could honestly write an entire episode just based on that story. October 15, 1972. How about this for a story? Have you ever heard of a tournament where the winner received less prize money than the loser? <laughs> well, at the season-ending championships of the Virginia Slim Circuit, which was the precursor to today's WTA, 17-year-old Chrissy Ebbett defeated Australian Kerry Melville in the final 7-5-6-4. But because she was a couple of months short of her 18th birthday, Ebbett was unable to be registered as a professional and thus had to forfeit her entire $25,000 check meaning that players who lost in the first round received more prize money than the winner did. Mm. And an example of this was Margaret Court, who actually retired in the first round up 5-2 in the third set against, of all people, Jeannie Everett, Chris's younger sister. Ah, there you go. Chris had a decent career in the end, though. Mm. I don't think she missed that prize money too much. Wow. October 16th, 1921, Jim Conselman takes over as coach of the Rock Island Independents after Frank Coughlin was fired in the middle of the game which is still the only mid-game coaching change in NFL history to this day. The exact timeline isn't 100% certain, but trailing 7-0 to the Chicago Cardinals, Sid Nichols managed to find Konzelman wide open in the end zone tying the game. From the ensuing kickoff, Konzelman scored again untouched and converted to give the Independents a 14-7 lead. Now, the crazy part of this is that Coughlin was the coach of the team, but it was also one of the tackles, and Big Ed Healy was sent onto the field to drag him off as he was replaced for the play. Once Coughlin was off the field, though, Healy delivered another message from team manager Walter Flanagan. He was fired. Coughlin would see out the season with the Detroit Tigers and Green Bay Packers and then never played football again, becoming a prosecutor and assistant attorney general in the state of Indiana. Conselman would play eight more years with classic teams like the Milwaukee Badgers, Detroit Panthers and Providence Steamrollers. How nuts is that? Player coach being fired in the, in oh, the middle of a game to make way for another player coach. It's 1921. This week in sport history. Let's move over to the Southeast Division, shall we? Starting with the Atlanta Hawks, who finished top of their division with a record of 41 and 31, which was good enough for fifth in the East. They did make it to the conference finals, however, losing to the eventual champion Milwaukee Bucks, of course. Their longest winning streak was eight at the beginning of March. Their longest losing streak was four on two different occasions. What do you reckon? This is a really, really interesting team. It really is. So they've lost Chris Dunn, Bruno Fernando, and Tony Snell. Three guys who weren't really in their playoff rotation. They bring in guys like DeLon Wright, Jalil Okafor, Timothy Luwalu Cabarro, Jalen Johnson, and Gorgie Jeng. My question is really simple with this. What is Atlanta's ceiling when they're healthy? Now, before you answer that, let me kind of give you a bit more information on, on what I mean for that. Yep. So DeAndre Hunter missed 49 games last yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. Lou Williams missed 48. Reddish missed 46. Rondo, 45. Bogdanovich, 28. Snell, who's now gone 25, Danilo Gallinari, 20. It's hard to get chemistry when you go into the playoffs missing that many games. And, Which makes their run even more impressive. Well, exactly. And when you think about the fact that Hunter only played five of the 18 playoff games and Reddish only played in four, yep. it's ridiculous that they made the conference finals and they got better. Yep. I, I think I don't think they're a championship contender, but you know, if all things went well, they could maybe finish around third and maybe make the conference finals. 
are we relying on a lot of injuries like what happened last? I mean, they were very... No, because I think they're hungry now, so they have the belief. But the question I ask on the flip side of that, how will Nate McMillan and the Hawks handle the burden of expectation after last season? Because they do now have increased expectation having made it to the conference finals. And and this is the thing. I think a lot of people like us had New York beating them in the first round, and then I think everyone had Philadelphia beating them in the second round. Yep. I don't think anyone gave them a chance in really any of those three series. So the fact that they've managed to do so well, absolutely it increases the expectations. Nate McMillan is a fantastic coach. He has a, a great pedigree. He has obviously won as a player as well, part of some very successful Seattle teams. So I don't think it'll be an issue for McMillan. I think more so for the players, yeah, being the hunted, as we've spoken about with Emma Raducanu as well, players know a little bit more about this team. They'll probably be scouting them a lot harder than they were last year. Uh, it's it's a tough question. I think the challenge for McMillan is if everyone is healthy. It's finding the right rotations. It's making sure everyone can eat. It's making keeping the young guys happy. So that's the challenge if they can they can stay healthy. Here's a smoky for you, Shui, and I haven't heard anyone else say this, but it wouldn't be surprising if people have. Ben Simmons' destination. Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I you, like. So you think you think him to Atlanta? Well, they're 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 ahead of their projected. You know, few people would have thought they were going to make the conference finals, right? But Trey Young has ice in his veins. They've made the conference finals. They're maybe now closer to a championship window than what they first thought. Do they pry that window open with a trade? I haven't jumped on the trade machine and looked at, at, at salaries, but you know something along the lines of Bogdanovich and Reddish or Bogdanovich and Herder, because you know those guys are going to demand big money when their next contract extension comes up. Simmons, I think, would fit quite well with Trey Young because he's not a natural scorer or shooter, whereas Trey Young likes the ball. <laughs> so a very good defensive player. I, I think it's... I, Think it would be a really interesting move. You, you also, and I think Philly would like it too. Like Bogdanovich and Reddish, like it's not terrible, and maybe yeah. a draft pick, Pot- you know. or potentially Gallinari could be Gallinari's. Yeah, there's a lot of guys they could throw in. Yeah, so look, I mean, it's not the worst idea. <laughs> Certainly not the worst, and I, I know both teams would be open to having a look at it. It's more a case of for me, I guess, having Simmons and what he would want to be doing, which is a lot of you know that ball dominant sort of stuff. It's what Trey Young does as well. So maybe that's the only thing I, I kind of think would make that a slightly iffy fit. But, I mean, geez, when you get a chance to get that good a defensive player who kind of, you know, kind of irons out some of the issues that you get with Trey Young. I mean, they were a middle-of-the-pack defensive team last year. And I love John Collins, but he's not the best defender in the world. So I think that would really beef him up. Hmm. Yeah, look, I mean, they're, they're certainly going to have good scoring. We, we know that they're going to score. They've got guys off the bench like Lou Williams and Kevin Herter. They've got DeLon Wright, who's a really nice backup for Trey Young. This, this is one of the things that I did have down for them was they need to defend at a better rate. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, scoring won't be the issue. Yeah, defense will be the issue. So, yeah, absolutely. Simmons there would make a bit of sense. I, I think it would be hard trying to figure out how to get him and Young to kind of coexist on the offensive end. But, yeah. Well, Young would just have to play off the ball a little bit more, but he knows he'll, he'll get it, you know. He'll, he'll eat. He'll definitely eat. Simmons will find him. And I guess you just turn him into Steph Curry and turn him into Draymond. Yeah, so. basically, yeah. That's yep. the role. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Interesting. Next, we had the Miami Heat who finished 40 and 32, which was good enough for sixth in the East. It's another one of those weird ones where their longest winning streak and losing streak were back-to-back. 
So their longest winning streak was six in late February. Then they lost once to Atlanta. Then they won another five before their longest losing streak of six in mid to late March. A lot of massive ins for this team. Obviously, Kyle Lowry and PJ Tucker are probably the two that everyone's talked about, adding that phenomenal point guard and that that real toughness with Tucker. Oh, I love their defense. But I think Markeith Morris is another incredibly underrated player in terms of adding more of that toughness. Yeah, handy, to that team. handy. Okay, they lost a lot of decent players. They lost Goran Dragic. They lost Kendrick Nunn. Nemanja Bielitsa, kind of not really in the rotation. Same with Precious Achua and Trevor Ariza. But it's hard to argue if any team had a better offseason than Miami. I mean, if you look at last season, Dragic was probably their second best player. But you can't possibly tell me that Kyle Lowry is not an upgrade there. Oh, yeah, huge. Yeah. And ditto with Morris and Tucker upgrading, obviously, at those power forward positions as well. And, and Tyler Hero had a bit of a sophomore slump, but I fully expect him to bounce back. Absolutely. They were pretty decent, actually, in the regular season. And look at their numbers again. They weren't too bad. But, yeah, geez, they shot the ball that badly in the playoffs that Spolstra had to cut Robinson's minutes by six and Heroes by seven. And they just ended up wearing Jimmy Butler out. Mm. That was the the big issue that they had. So Mm. adding Kyle Lowry, a guy who's been there, won a championship, definitely adds a lot to this Miami team. Oh, it's huge. My question is then, how important is playoff seeding for this team? I think it is still important. Whilst it's one of those teams that could easily still win from a lower seeding, I think it's incredibly important because if you go into somewhere like Milwaukee, and we saw what Milwaukee was like last season. I mean, they had... Deer Park. How many thousands of people they have just sitting out in the Tens cold? Tens of thousands, yeah. yeah. So 60,000 yeah. or something. Yeah, like. so the atmosphere yeah. in Deer Park is ridiculous, but the atmosphere inside the actual stadium as well is just raucous. It's one of those places that is very, very hard to play. So they want to be getting into that playoff series where they don't have to necessarily sort of, you know, lose out on that home court advantage till maybe the conference finals. I think they want to be aiming for at least top three. And I think, quite frankly, they're good enough to be aiming for third. I worry about their depth over the course of a long season. So I don't know if, I mean, that's, yeah, that would be a ceiling, but I don't think they'll reach it. I think as long as they're healthy heading into the playoffs, their defensive chops will have them thinking we can beat anyone. Interesting. So you've got multiple teams ahead of Miami then, aside from obviously Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Yep. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Next, we have the Washington Wizards, 34 and 38, which was good enough for eighth in the East. They got destroyed in a play-in game. Longest winning streak was eight in mid to late April. The longest losing streak was five twice. They were the team most affected by postponements with six consecutive games postponed in the middle of January, which means that they had to really play a lot of games in a short amount of time. They finished the season 17 and 8, though, which was a bit of a surprise given that. All right, the Washington Lakers. (laughs) Uh, uh, Sorry, the Wizards. The artist formerly known as. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma all coming across from LA. Spencer Dinwiddie comes across, Aaron Holiday. They obviously lose Russell Westbrook, which is a big loss in terms of statistics and those sorts of things, but it probably helps there chemistry just a little bit, Um, but they also lose Robin Lopez and Alex Len, who are pretty big players. Figuratively and literally. Yes, exactly right, both in stature and uh, and in in terms of their presence. The Westbrook trade boosted their depth. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And this this is the thing. The Wizards got worse in a number of spots, but they're actually probably a better team now. Mm. The big issue isn't going to be the scoring. They've got that in abundance. It'll be defensively. If you look at 2019, they were 27th in defensive efficiency, 29th the following season and 20th last season. They've lost Robin Lopez to Orlando. Harold and Kuzma aren't exactly lockdown sort of guys. 
I mean, uh, they're handy though. They're not terrible. They're, they're not as good. Like Robin Lopez is a decent sort of shot blocker, just like his brother. So yeah, oh yeah, he's a good big man banging kind of player. Yeah, so it's it's tough. I mean, look, they might not be horrible if Wes Unsell Jr. can have them playing kind of middle of the pack defense rather than in the twenties. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm still not sure that they're going to be amazing. The big if obviously revolves around Bradley Beal. So my question is, Stewie, I guess it's two pronged. How well will Dinwiddie fit in with Beal, and will the Beal rumors finally stop? All right, start with the second one. No, the, <laughs> the, this is one of those things. The rumors will never stop. It's like Lillard, yeah. Absolutely. The rumors are always there. Absolutely, as long as there is some sort of media presence in the NBA, the rumors will never stop, or until he gets traded. In terms of how he fits with Dinwiddie, I think they're very, very similar players. I'm not actually sure how well they're going to be able to cohabit the. You know the the whole backcourt really. Aren't yeah, they? I don't know either. Dinwiddie likes to shoot first. They, they're both shoot first. Yeah, sort of guys. Yeah. Look, it could be that they end up fitting perfectly because they know what each other wants to do with the ball because it's what they would want to do with the ball. But the thing is, when you put those two guys with Kyle Kuzma, who also doesn't mind a shot. Yes. This is going to be one of those teams that are not particularly great, but one ball isn't going to be enough. So. I don't know. I, I do worry about how how quickly Washington could potentially free fall. Even though they're they're potentially a better team, they're slightly deeper than they were last season. I, I wouldn't still be surprised if they dropped down from 34 and 38 to somewhere around the, I don't know, 30 and 52 mark. I could easily see this thing. Oh, especially if they trade Beal. Yeah, I could see. Oh, if they trade Beal, I mean, it could be 20, 25 yeah, wins. Yeah, yeah. Even with Beal, I could see this bottoming out. Next, we have the Charlotte Hornets, 33 and 39, good enough for 10th in the East. Again, also got spanked in a playing game, but good experience for a young team. Their longest winning streak was four twice. Their longest losing streak was five to finish the season. So they did stumble. All right. So they've lost Bismack Biambo. I didn't even know he was still in the league, to be honest. He must have been <laughs> sitting on the bench doing nothing. They did lose Devontae Graham, though. They lost Malik Monk, Cody Zeller, Brad Wanamaker, and Caleb Martin. They're all handy. All handy. Yeah. But they bring in Kelly Oubre, Mason Plumley, Ish Smith, and a couple of good-looking rookies, Kai Jones and James Buchnight. Yep, yep. So probably a uh, uh, slight improvement. I'd say a slight improvement. Yeah. Is Charlotte your league pass team? <laughs> They're certainly one. I would put them ahead of Sacramento. They're certainly one of them. Yeah. Yep. So LaMelo Ball, Miles Bridges, Terry Rozier, PJ Washington. You throw in Gordon Hayward for now. Oubre is obviously quite good. Mason Plumley. It's it's Bridges. Kind of, I love Bridges. Very uh, athletic. Bridges and Ball. Yeah. That's probably one of my top three favorite duos in yeah. the league. Yeah. Their shooting maybe not so great. They replaced Malik Monk and Devontae Graham with Oubre and Ish Smith, who are better players, but not better shooters. Yeah. But I think this team's a little bit like Toronto. If Terry Rozier is your big banana, you're in trouble. My question is, does Gordon Hayward finish the season a Hornet? Oh. But if he, if uh, now, notoriously made a glass, if he plays well, they could go all right. I think the tough part, though, is obviously the fact that Charlotte overpaid so heavily for him. So he's due to make just under $30 million this year. It's a hard contract to move for a guy that is made of glass. Look, there might, there might be, be a contender. Yeah, there might be a contender, a team that's slightly less fringe than Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte obviously are playing incredibly young, so Hayward doesn't necessarily fit into that narrative as well. So, yeah, look, they may look at it and say, well, if we can flip Hayward for potentially a decent sort of role player and a couple of picks or something like that, then 
yeah, but it's it is going to be really really hard to to match those contracts, obviously because he's getting paid so much. Mm. I do hope that he finishes the season as a Hornet though, because I, I like this team and they do need some veteran leadership. So hopefully he's still there. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm almost of the view that they should be like the Timberwolves and continue to bottom out a little shit. bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh no. Just to improve like short term pain for long term gain. Yeah. Or in Minnesota's case, long term. Well, yeah. Longer term. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Finally, we had, speaking of pain, the Orlando Magic, 21-51, and 51, 14th in the East. Their longest winning streak was four. Their first four games of the season. <laughs> I remember when everyone was going, oh, my God, is Orlando a playoff team? No. <laughs> that means they went 17-51 and 51 to finish the season. Their longest losing streak was nine in late February to mid-March. Lopez comes in with each one more. Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner, the two rookies who look quite impressive. Wayne Bacon, James Ennis and Otto Porter leave. My big question, though, is what's going on with Jonathan Isaac? Yes, indeed. Very articulate, but anti-vaxxing. And on top of that, so he tore his ACL in 2020, August the 7th. This is more than a year ago. He's still not cleared for opening day, not even cleared for contact yet. This, this team's one of those really fun young teams that probably won't do much, but Isaac has the potential to be a legitimate elite two-way player. Do you think they're purposely keeping him, keep him in bubble wrap because they want to keep losing? Look, it's possible. And obviously the fact that they've been able to pick up such a great rookie in Jalen Suggs, and it's no disrespect to Wagner, but Suggs is obviously the prize. Oh, I'm a massive fan of Suggs. He's my pick for rookie of the year. Massive so, fan. So potentially they might look at it and say, right, let's bottom out a little bit more this year, yep. add another really good young rookie and see how we go. Yep. But to talk about how much of an impact Isaac has on this. So his points, assists, blocks, and steals all increased in his first three years, which you kind of expect that. But guys last season who averaged more than one block and one steal a game, Nerlens Noel, Joel Embiid, Giannis, Robert Covington, PJ Washington, Matisse Thibel, and Bam Adebayo. Pretty good company. Very good defensive company. Yeah. Guys who averaged more than 1.5 blocks a game and 1.5 steals a game, Jonathan Isaac. Yeah. End, yeah, well, wow. endless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1.6 steals a game, 2.3 blocks a game. Okay, 34 game sample, not particularly huge, but still. Oh, it's, you know, it's big enough. It's nearly half a season. It puts him in the mix for Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah. At, with those sorts of numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you look at their starting lineup, Jalen Suggs is 20, Cole Anthony's 21, Wendell Carter Jr. is 22, Jim O'Keefe's 23, and Terrence Ross is like 56. <laughs> All the important players, and keep in mind as well, Isaac is 24. Yes. All of the important players on this team are so young since they shipped off Gordon and Vucevic. Lexus should probably look at sponsoring this team. Oh. Think about their logo, that giant L, so <laughs> relevant to this team right now. And it's not, uh, it's not a bad thing. No, 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 no. They should, they should keep losing. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love Jalen Suggs. I just constantly think of that. Semi-final in the college basketball. You go back to that block. The block and then pass. <laughs> the bounce pass. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't just the, like him demonstrating his two-way ability. I'm a massive fan and, yeah, I think he'll be a great player. But, and this is what I love about Orlando. They do have the potential to have all of these really great two-way players that that could make a big difference. And I mean, shit, I would love to see Orlando back in the finals in five years' time. It's not going to happen, but... So a very important question for the Magic, Stewie. Should ESPN buy the rights to Robin Lopez's magazine club with the rookies? Yes. Yes. Absolutely, they should. Yes. It should be on prime time. Absolutely. Could you imagine them sitting around all wearing ridiculous hats, each one more ridiculous than the last? This guy. What, tinfoil in Jonathan Isaac's case? <laughs> just, just imagine them sitting there. They'd, they'd have 
you know, assorted snacks sitting there and, and different, different beverages, that, again, from, from different parts of the world. It would be one of the most interesting non-sports-related shows. Well, who needs hard knocks when you've got that? Finally, Shuri, the Southwest Division. We start with the Dallas Mavericks, 42 and 35th in the West. They lost to the Clippers in the first round. Their longest winning streak was five in late March to early April. Their longest losing streak was six in late January to early Feb. Tyler Bay, Nicola Melli, JJ Reddick and Josh Richardson all shipped out. Moses Brown, Sterling Brown, Reggie Bullock and Frankie Smokes, Frankie Tilakina in for Dallas. Why is he called Frankie Smokes? I have no idea. Oh, there you go. (laughs) No idea. Question without notice. So Dallas, 17th in the league in three-point shooting last season, but they took the six most threes last season. Bullock was 41%. Sterling Brown was over 42 The Josh Richardson experiment didn't work. I know you're a massive fan of his. Yeah, ball stop, I can't pass. JJ Reddick retired, obviously. A couple of pretty decent replacements for those guys. It puts the ball in Lucas' hands even more. So they now have a team stacked with shooters and versatile big guys and Boban. Yes, love Boban. The obvious question, is Luca MVP? Well, my my obvious question about Luca is, is all the tread on his tyres going to wear pretty thin? You know, after these back-to-back seasons an Olympic campaign where he literally had to put the team on his shoulders. I'm a bit worried about him getting injured this season. Motherfucker's 21. He better be ready. It, it doesn't matter how old you are. You get enough tread on the tyres, you will get injured from time to time. When you're young. Well, I look, I hope he doesn't because this is one of my league past teams, he, definitely, because I love watching him play. Oh, absolutely. He's fantastic to watch play, and he just has this delight. There was this thing I saw on the jump the other day where he managed to shoulder off a ball into the yeah. ring on his first try. Because <laughs> doing the little like, soccer. Yeah. Like 20 feet away. Yeah, it was fantastic. In the layup line, basically, yeah. Yeah. Look, I the, well, to, to answer your question, I worry that they won't win enough games to win MVP because MVP does seem to be about winning. I mean, I think there's potentially a, a decent amount of truth to that. If you look at some of the guys that were ahead of him, Chris Paul was ahead of him in the MVP voting. His numbers were far inferior to what – I mean, look at average 28, 8, and 9, basically, on the best shooting clip of his career. Yeah. Young career. Yeah, young career, yes. Yeah. But, yeah, he was miles ahead of Chris Paul in terms of stats, marginally ahead of Steph and Giannis. Jokic probably should repeat, given that there's no Murray and he'll probably have to go stupid. But – Yeah, but again, will they win enough games for him to... Oh, potentially. But you also look at it and say if Jokic drags them into fifth. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Look, I wouldn't be surprised if Doncic averaged a triple-double this season. Oh, look, it's possible. Now that that wall's been broken by by Westbrook, it is possible. Mm. Highly possible. I don't necessarily think that he does. And I flip-flopped on this so many times. When I was preparing for this, I said I think he does. I'm not sure now. I think he'll be top three this year, though. I think it could easily be Durant, Jokic... And, uh, and Mr. Luca. Mm. Next, we have the Memphis Grizzlies, 38 and 34. Good enough for eighth in the West. They lost to Utah in the first round, but they played them pretty well. Longest winning streak was seven in mid to late January. Longest losing streak was four at the beginning of February. They had five consecutive games postponed in late January and another not long before that, all during their biggest winning streak. So while postponements did derail some teams, didn't seem to derail the Grizzlies. Bye-bye, Grayson Allen. Bye-bye, Jonas Valanciunas. Bye-bye, Justice Winslow. Stephen Adams in, Jarrett Culver in, Chris Dunn and Zoya Williams. I mean... It's nearly a push, do you think? I think a push is a very good way to put it. Yeah. Look, they're not going to contend for a championship, but if they stay healthy, they're going to be very, very fun to watch. They're a young side. Apart from Ja Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr., though, the key guys are all around that 25 mark. Yeah. So it could be the year that they kind of push into the playoffs proper rather than just relying on 
you know, just getting in. And so sweeping. just keep improving, keep improving, stay hungry, maybe have a few heartbreaking losses in the playoffs to keep you fighting for next season. They're trending in the right direction. Now, does Ja Morant make an All-NBA team this year? Uh, it's possible. It's possible. The guard position is stacked, but there's every possibility. Now, let me, I guess, let me read out the, the guys that were in the All-NBA teams as the guards last year. So first team, you had Steph Curry and Luka Doncic. Those guys aren't going anywhere. Yep. Absolutely, he's not passing them. Second team, Damian Lillard and Chris Paul. Yep. It's starting to get a little bit more attainable. There's yep. a small chance he goes past CP3. Yep. Especially- well, there's already a big name missing too, though, because of injury. James Harden. But anyway, continue. Absolutely, yep. yeah. Yeah, The third team, Bradley Beal and Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Well, he won't be there, most likely. By the way, one of the things we haven't talked about with Irving we haven't explored the possibility that the Nets might say, no, sorry, playing half a season is too disruptive. Fuck it. Either you're in or you're out. They could shut him down. That'd be an interesting story. Well, if they shut him out, then uh, Mr. Morant is almost a guarantee of getting in. Well, there's Trey Young. There's a couple of other guys that would be fighting for those spots. Watching him play in the preseason, he looked like Derek Rose just before Rose won his MVP. He is just all over the court. He started hitting threes now as well, which is kind of scary. You can't stop him. Oh, they, these guys are a league pass team for me too, ahead yep. of Sacramento. Like these are, yeah, Dylan Brooks. He's he's very frustrating at times, but he plays great defense and he is good to watch too. Yeah, yeah no, I, I really like this team. Uh, ja Morant to me is one of these guys, and I, I said it before, I think he'll win an MVP by the time he's 25. Oh, big call. I really do. Well, he's a he's a great player, and I think he'll have a spectacular career. Maybe twenty six, but he like he let's is, hope he has a better career than Derek. Oh, Rose. absolutely. He's not derailed by injury. But he like he's he's so quick. He gets into the lane. He's shooting the same sort of floaters as what Rose was shooting. He gets up just as well as Rose does, probably even better. It's oh yeah, he's springy. It's yeah, insane yeah. how good this kid is, so young. And I, I just I wouldn't be surprised if he's banging on the door for certainly all NBA third team. But who knows? Oh, yeah, no, he'll be in the mix. He'll definitely be in the mix. Hmm. Next, we had my San Antonio Spurs, 33 and 39, good enough for 10th in the West, pretty much the worst fucking spot you can get. Longest winning streak was three, four times. Longest losing streak was five, late April, early May. They still won too many games, even though they sputtered into the play and losing 10 of their last 12. I'm not filthy at all. Yeah, you don't sound it. Yeah. So DeMar DeRozan, Patty Mills, Rudy Gay, Trey Lyles, and Gorgie Jang all gone, replaced by Al Farouk Aminu, Zach Collins, Bryn Forbes, Joff Landale, Doug McDermott, Thaddeus Young, and a 12-year-old Josh Primo. <laughs> he certainly looks that, doesn't he? He had seven of eight threes in his first preseason game, though. Yeah. look, I mean, He's the youngest player in the league. The, the Spurs wouldn't have picked him just because... Yeah, no, no, no. I know, no, I yeah, know yeah. you joked No, about. no, I have faith. I do have faith in the Spurs front office. Their, their biggest loss is playmaking, though. That's as plain as the nose on your face. Look, I don't know if the Spurs tried to to get younger. I, I guess it kind of worked. I mean, they got some old guys back, but they they did get rid of some of their their key players as well. So it looks like they've finally embraced a rebuild through the draft, which is good. Cut Lucas Samanich today, by the way. Really? Yep. Yeah, a bit of a surprise. That is a bit of a yeah, surprise. slight surprise. But my question is this, Nate: DeRozan is gone. Aldridge is gone. Duncan is gone. Yes. I see a whole lot of betas on this team. I don't see any real alphas. Whose team is this? DeJounte Murray's, Kelton Johnson's, Lonnie Walker's? Uh, definitely not Lonnie Walker. I put Derek White ahead of him. But it's Pops. It's Pops' team. Mm. It will be Kelton Johnson's team, which is why he made the Olympic roster. But it's currently Pops' team. I think. Interesting. Yeah. 
Never really thought about it that way. DeJounte Murray is a really good team guy. He's a pro's pro. I like a lot about him. I don't love his shot. I wouldn't... I oscillate between thinking let's trade him for Ben Simmons and then I think do we want any part of Ben Simmons given he acts like a fucking child. But, yeah, I, I think it will become Keldon Johnson's team. As I mentioned to you last season, I, he was looking a really alpha. For a young guy, he had a lot of alpha in him. So, yeah, I do think it will become Keldon Johnson's team with DeJounte a close second. And that's who I had as well. I mean, he's only 21, so he's got a little bit of time. But he's probably the guy that they have to build around for now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, for mine, he's the only player I wouldn't trade. Anyone else else is available for the right price, of course. Of course. I think Thaddeus Young will be a guy that's dealt to a contender, and that's possible of Doug McDermott too. Got to keep Jock Landau. Yes. Well, Jock Landau is on a really cheap contract, and I think he'll be good for the Spurs. I'm I'm stoked we got him. Yeah, absolutely. Next, we have the New Orleans Pelicans, 31-41, and 11th in the West. The longest winning streak was four in early February. The longest losing streak was five in mid-January around a postponement. So it did affect them. Stephen Adams, Lonzo Ball, Eric Bledsoe, and James Johnson all gone. Four pretty big names. In comes Devontae Graham, Thomas Sadoransky, Garrett Temple, and Jonas Valanciunas. So feels to be like a push again. Uh, that one again, yeah, does, yeah. does feel a bit pushy. I, I don't like it as much. I mean, the, the Valanciunas trade helped spacing a little bit. Adams kind of had that lack of range that kind of clogged the keyway up a little bit. I'll tell you what, though, I've seen a lot of footage of Stephen Adams shooting a lot of jumpers coming around screens in, in the preseason. So, okay. Or certainly in the in the training around that. But, but yeah, going back to the Pels, losing ball and Bledsoe, that is pretty tough. Like, it's a really super young team. Like, their main core guys, Zion Williamson, 21, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, 23, Brandon Ingram, 24, Devontae Graham, 26. They've only actually got Valanciunas and Sadoransky, who are 29, and Garrett Temple, 35, as rotation guys over 27. I like Valanciunas as an in. And look, at risk of beating the same drum, Zion Williamson, broken foot in the offseason, carrying too much weight, and there's rumblings that his family are putting a lot of influence in and he's demanding a lot of things of the team and becoming a bit of a problem in that regard too. To quote the old, uh, what was it, the Pat Riley, the disease of me or whatever it is? <laughs> Seems like he might have caught that. Mm. There's no vaccination for that one. Well, it, it's funny you mentioned that because my first question was, could a broken foot over the offseason be worse for any player than Zion Williamson? Sitting in New Orleans, like we know he struggles with weight issues. Hell, I, I get it as much as the next person. But there's been reports swirling that because he's been off his feet for a while, he's stacked on more weight, as, of course, he, as yeah. he tends to do in the off-season. Yeah, yep. And it's it's this big circle. Yep, it's going to lead to more injury. It's, it was why I always said to everyone, call your Jets. He's an amazing talent. I hope for the best, but I do worry. I always worried about his weight issues. But the, I think the issue that it causes is if he comes back early, his conditioning's not going to be right. He puts extra strain on his feet, ankles, and knees, and he gets injured again. Yep. If they wait, it puts the Pels in a position where they can't really make the playoffs. It's like the 2019-20 season where he played the last 24. Well, he played 24 of the last 28. So he was sort of there at the end of the season. They missed the playing game despite getting to the bubble. Yep. But Zion was also actually quoted as saying, I'm done missing the playoffs. Yeah, well, so, good luck to you, mate. Good so luck. at what point does he start demanding a trade? Well, yeah. If he does, I feel sorry for the Pels and their fans because at least play your rookie contract, for Christ's sake. I mean, he's barely played. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's That'll be disappointing if that happens. But do you think, following on from what you were saying, do you think he starts? Well, the rumblings are that it's very possible. The rumblings are it's possible. 
I, I think he starts not so much demanding, but I think he starts talking about it openly, not so much saying I want to trade, but starts talking about yeah, more around his desires to win and all of that sort yeah, of stuff, yeah, which is yeah. basically between the lines. Coded, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a very interesting one to watch. Again, could be a very interesting leg pass team when they're healthy, but they could also be a complete fucking train wreck. They could be. So, yeah, that'll be very interesting. Speaking of complete fucking train wrecks, the Houston <laughs> Rockets, 17 and 55, worst record in the league. Their longest winning streak was six in late January, early February. All wins from then on were in single games only. Their longest losing streak was 20 between early February and late March with two back-to-back postponements nearly halfway through the streak in late Feb. I don't think they'll be as much of a train wreck, though. I do really like their rookie, Jalen Green. Yeah, I mean, he is the big in. They get Tyler Bay and Daniel Tice as well. They say goodbye to Avery Bradley, Sterling Brown, Kelly Olenek, DJ Wilson, and Cam Oliver. Mm. I like Daniel Tice too. Yeah, oh, Tice is great. Yeah. My question is this, though. How confusing is this team? So, youngest backcourt in the league. They've also got the shortest team in the league. They, They don't really have many guys who are going to put up big numbers in terms of the shooting besides Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. Yeah, yeah. Assuming he can keep it up for a full season. Which is, a, you know... It's no guarantee. It's a something, yeah. yeah. I think Shengun's an interesting piece for them. So I think they drafted very well. <laughs> Somebody put him down as a smoky for Rookie of the Year, which I think is a bit far-fetched. Well, but... I don't know. I don't know. He might get a lot of opportunity. Rookie of the Year in this class? I don't know about that. Well, yeah, it's, the Rookie of the Year is a really funny contest, though. He was like MVP of the Turkish League at like age 17 or something, wasn't he? So, he, he I mean, he's probably game ready. So, look, I don't think he will. But, uh, yeah, no, as a smoky, you know, throw five bucks on him. You'd make a fair bit of money, probably. Well, I'll put this to you. Since David Robinson in 1990, no rookie has averaged more than 24.3 points a game. Does Jalen Green give that a shake? Possibly. Yeah, quite possibly. I think he beats it. Yeah, that's. I wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. Because he's going to get up a lot of shots in this Yeah, team. yeah. Yep. One of the joys, I guess, of being in such an average team is that, yeah, you can fire up as many as you like and no one really looks at you. Which is why I partly wish they kept Cam Oliver because he could have got a lot of opportunity on this team. He could have. And I want to see him go well because I'm a big fan. He could also win a ring. Well, that's true. That's true. It's unlikely, but he That's true. No, he could. Well, how unlikely? It's not too unlikely. Oh, I mean, yeah. So finally, Shui, we thought we'd go through our first six in each conference and then our next four, because obviously everyone wins a trophy and they play 20 out of 30 teams over the possibility of making the playoffs. So in the East, I had Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Atlanta, Philly, Miami, and Boston as the first six. Yeah, I've I've got Milwaukee, Brooklyn at, at the top. Absolutely. I would potentially switch out. I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid here. I'm going to switch out Chicago for Boston. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Put Boston into the next four. I think Miami will finish third. I really do. I really do. I think the turmoil in Philly is too much, and I think. Well, Embiid gets injured often too. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. And I think Atlanta's still a bit of an unknown commodity, even though they played really well last season. So I think. I like their depth. That's partly why I had them that high. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. But no, I think Milwaukee, Brooklyn, one, one and one A, basically. Yeah, Miami, Atlanta, probably Philly, and then Chicago. Speaking of Chicago, so I had them at the top of my next four. So I had them in seventh. In front of New York, Charlotte, and Washington. I found that 10th spot really tough. Could be any number of teams. Could be Toronto, for example. It's really hard to know what will happen with Washington. 
And look, I do like Chicago too. I worry about their defense a bit, but I think their offense will be fantastic. And although DeRozan is not a great defender, I think him and Levine could complement each other quite well. He's a good playmaker. Yeah, I think you're right about the bottom four. They're, they're a lot trickier. I think Washington could easily be subbed out for yeah, an Indiana yeah. or yeah, really any number of teams. But there are a lot of horrendously bad teams in the East as well. So I think Charlotte, New York and Boston are probably the other three. And I, I think I might give Indiana the, the go there. But I honestly, I really do believe that tenth, the 10th tenth seed... It's the worst fucking position to finish in the oh, entire league. Absolutely. Because you're out of the lottery, which absolutely. is why it pissed me off the Spurs. Anyway, in the West, first six, I had Utah, the Lakers, Phoenix, Golden State, Denver, and Dallas. No real issues there, except I, I do have Golden State in the in the next four category. I I think even without Kawhi Leonard for most of the season, the Clippers will slip into that first six for me. But I do like Utah, the Lakers, Phoenix, Denver to an extent, and Dallas as well. The Clippers are a real wild card for me. I did have them in my next four behind Portland and Memphis and in front of San Antonio. I hate to say it, but the Spurs could finish in that 10th spot again. <laughs> yeah, the Clippers, it's really interesting. I think they could finish probably as high as 4-4, or as low as 10th. It's really hard to see. Yeah, look, for me, similar sort of four, but yeah, Portland, Memphis, Golden State and San Antonio for me. Well, Stewie, as I say, by the time this is uploaded, the season is less than a week away. How exciting. And now... What made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week belongs to the International Chess Federation and a somewhat curious sponsorship deal. Now, I've sometimes thought that the little pawns in chess look a bit like boobs. Okay. But it seems the ICF have taken this to another level, starting a sponsorship with Establishment Labs, a company who owns Motiva, a company who makes breast implants. Oh, okay. In a press release, the IFC said the partnership is the first ever corporate sponsorship agreement specifically aimed at supporting women's chess events. Now, it's absolutely brilliant they were able to find sponsorship for the women's game, but would you not take a step back and go, hmm, maybe that's not the sort of image we're going for? Been kind of getting a bit of support from some of the women in the game, including Elizabeth Pates, who said, look, as long as it's not something connected to gender, racism or drugs or anything else like that, I would generally support that sponsor. Hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Gender? <laughs> Not connected to gender. Why didn't they approach Netflix and ask for the Queen's Gambit? They could have got a sponsorship from Netflix. That would have made more sense. Yeah. So how many men do you know with breast implants? There was that guy on the man show that did it for a bet. Exactly. Yeah. One. Only one that I can remember. I mean, there's probably more. Do you know the funniest thing about that is they still pixelated the nipples? <laughs> They quite have to, don't they? Well, I don't know. Oh, I think they do. Right. <laughs> I think they do. But look, chess has even had to bring in a dress code. There's been incidents in the past where male players claim that their opponents' breasts have distracted them. The most famous being Nan Koshnitsky in the South Australian State Championships where Bob Cowley stated, that's a bloody outrage it is. <laughs> or something like that anyway. Hey, Andy. So it, it just doesn't really send a great message to man. As I said before, it is great that they're getting sponsorship. It is hard to get sponsorship in anything, male or female. Yes. So getting that is great, but that's just not right, is it? It's bizarre. It's it a little is. bit bizarre. But, hey, I mean, it's something that people get. It's something that the company wants to advertise. It's advertising money. So, mm. yeah. Mm. So for one of the more confusing sponsorship deals to the International Chess Federation, all I can say is it's a slippery slope from pawn to pawn. Hey, I see what you did there. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. So, Shui, the Southern Stars have won their series against India, but not without 
good competition. Yeah, it looked a lot more comfortable in the final. 11-5. The scoreline, yeah. The points, definitely, yeah. Definitely makes it look a lot harder. So we've, we've got a little bit to talk about. The, the pink ball test we've kind of got to go back to because we didn't get time to talk about that last week. It's, it's one of these things, like it ended up as a draw, which was a real disappointment, but it goes back to the thing we always talk about. When you win the toss, you bat. If you're in doubt, think about it, then bat. If you have very big doubts, talk to a colleague and then, then bat. bat. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. So, yeah, you're putting India in on an absolute road and what else is going to happen? They're going to make a big score. And I think Australia were kind of lucky that it got rained as much. Oh, big time, big time, big time. And when that rain came, it was basically only two outcomes were possible, an India win or a draw. The Australia win was pretty much knocked out. Yeah. Not without a great effort from uh, Elise Perry with the bat, though. Crikey. Yeah, well, we've got a few talking points. And she's yeah. funnily enough the very first one. Perry became just the 18th international cricketer with 5,000 runs and 300 wickets and the first female. She also became the most capped female player. She did. Across all formats. She did. Yeah. So an amazing effort from her. Not in the greatest form in terms of like the ODIs and the um, and the T20s. Yes, but her test form is magnificent. Test form like is she, it's very hard to remove her at the crease. Yes. Yeah, very hard. Now, Poonam Rout, she was on 36, edged one from Sophie Molyneux. Given not out, she walked. I'm already bracing. What are your thoughts on this? I don't believe in walking. Make the umpires do their job. They're paid for it. So not be a nice, nice person? No. Well, it's not. No. Being a nice person is making the umpire do their job. Honestly, honestly, man, honestly. I love how triggered you get by this. Well, no, walking sucks. What do you think? I, I like it. Uh, I like it. I honestly do. I, no. I think I'm the sort of person when I used to play basketball, I would call it if I knocked the ball out. I, I believe in good karma with that sort of stuff. Well, it's funny you say that because I would kind of do that at times too. So but, there you go. Well, and I'd have, if I wasn't fouled and went to the line, I would have this guilty conscience, which would make me more likely to miss the free throw. That I'm, I was different on because I knew that there were a lot of times I'd be fouled and they wouldn't call. Yeah, it. So yeah, I was sure, kind of. Sure. Well, I wouldn't intentionally miss it, but often subconsciously. Yeah. But no, I don't, I don't like walking. Well, never enough. have, never will. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Now, the DRS. If we're playing international cricket, for me, there has to be DRS. I think it's because of the venues. I don't. I don't know if it was a BCCI thing. If we're playing international cricket, yeah, oh, look, we I have don't, to bring DRS to these guys. I don't disagree. Like, it can't possibly be that hard to yeah. bring DRS No, I don't to. disagree with that. Like, it, you're literally talking about, certainly for most of them, LBW shouts, you're just talking about, is it pitching in line? Is it hitting in line? Yeah. Pretty fucking simple, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. But we get to the biggest issue. This was a four-day test, Nath. They lost 100 overs across the first two days. It's hard enough to get a result in four days as it is, but this is the second test in a row the Aussie women have lost a full day to weather. How triggered are you by this? Well, that's partly why they have five-day five, five day tests because invariably in most places you will cop a bit of rain at some stage over a five-day, apart from here often, but across a five-day period in most places you'll get a bit of rain. So, yes. And, and the reason I, I find this so frustrating myself is that it's already hard enough for the girls. The men play Sheffield Shield the women don't have an equivalent competition, so they're already kind of learning on the fly. Yeah, they're few and far between opportunities to play long form. Yeah. So I, I just don't see why you wouldn't have reserve days. And this, I mean, it, it's not like these games are, are to a schedule where they have to fly out or get on a boat like they used to back in the 1920s yeah, or something. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they, they have the time. I just, I just don't see why. It's ridiculous. No, I agree. 
So the T20s will quickly run through. Uh, the first match was washed out. India was on four for 131 off 15.2. So they probably would have made a pretty decent total, I reckon. Yeah, look, I reckon probably somewhere around 185, 190, the way they were going. Oh, highly possible. Wickets in the shed. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The second match, we'll look at two and three together. So in game two, Australia, six for 119, defeated India, nine for 118. And then in game three, Australia made 149, but it was enough. India managed just 135. A couple of really great catches by Meg Lanning in yeah, that second up. innings. They yeah. Look, both of these kind of look like they were fairly regulation on the scoreboard. It has to be said, game two was very much anything but regulation. India should never have even got close to 118. They were eight for 78 with four overs to go, nine for 81 with three overs left. And then Pooja Vastrakar made 37 off 26. He was hitting everything over the fence. And look, it really, this just came down to some really poor top-order batting from the Australians and some really great rearguard stuff from Talia McGrath and Georgia Wareham. I've seen both teams clearing the rope comfortably. Are the ropes too close in now? And the women's, the women's game has evolved. Yeah. It's got better. Yep. The ropes can go further back, I reckon. Like now, okay, maybe they want to leave them in for higher scores. Yep. But, yeah, I mean, I, I saw some pretty big hits in that third T20. And, and it's not just Australia. The, the Indians have some players like Risha Ghosh can hit a very long ball. Oh, yeah, both teams. Smriti Mandana, she hits a beautiful ball as well. So, yeah, there's there's definitely a case for that. But I do agree, they obviously in the T20s, they want as many players in the road as possible. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, as I said, in game two, definitely just came down to McGrath specifically. She was the one that that really provided that, that cool, calm head. And realistically, in the, the same sort of goes for game three. It came down to a fifth-wicket partnership between McGrath and Beth Mooney. Australia were four for 73. They go to five for 117, and then McGrath's able to then sort of push them towards that 149, when it probably should have been about 120, 125. And then the bowlers just strangled the Indian batters. Yeah, they bowled really well, really well. It was great. Mandana made 52, but the strike rates were just horrible, really, until Richard Gosh came in 23 off 11. Their, their regular wickets was a key thing. Yeah, it's hard to keep that rate up yeah. when the when you're losing wickets Absolutely. at regular interviews. Now, a couple of quick talking points. Game two, did we see ball of the century from Shika Pandey to bowl Alyssa Healy? Yeah, it was magnificent. She'll be hard-pressed to have a highlight better than that. It swung a mile. That's come back four stumps, yeah. I reckon. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. And I dare say if we saw that from Mitchell Stark, it would have been everywhere. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, max respect to Pandey, ball of the century for me. Now, I do just want to quickly look at the other side of that, and that's Alyssa Healy. So I, I really think that her wicket-keeping is the only thing that's keeping her in the Australian side right now. So she was out for four in both of the T20s that were actually played in full she hasn't reached double figures in her last six bats at an international level. Going back past the T20 World Cup, she had three half centuries there, but three scores under 20. And there was a five-match Tri-Nation series with England and India where she didn't pass nine and had 15 runs total. It's not great reading, is it? She's not in great form. I, well, look, I'll be honest. I don't know enough about the depth of women's cricket to know who's knocking on the door at wicketkeeper. And, and that's the problem. I think, yeah. obviously, the fact that she's got the gloves, that certainly helps. And she'll come good. I'm not too worried. You'd certainly hope so. Yeah, she will. On the other side, Talia McGrath, player of the match in both completed games as well as the series. She was just sensational. She actually has a bit of Steve Smith about her in okay. the way that she moves around the crease. She's really wristy. She holds her shape quite well through her shots. She is an absolute diamond in the rough. Just 
brilliant at 25. And we love having McGrath's in the Aussie team. We absolutely do. She's got a lot of cricket ahead of her. And the last one, very quickly, Taylor Vlemick, 145 kilometre an hour Thunderbolt she put there. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She is super quick. Bit of Sean Tate, not so much the slinging action, but... She's a bit unpredictable. She'll go for runs, but she is going to scare some people. Yeah, no, I actually, I remembered watching going, geez, I wonder what that one clocked at. I can't remember if that was the specific delivery, but when we were down the pub, yeah, no, very impressive. Stupid fast, but no, look, very, very good series put on by both teams. And and as I said a number of times, great to see Indian female cricket becoming a lot more competitive. Yes, good for the game. Good for the game. All right, sure, you know what that music means. What are you at for? I mean pretty obvious it's it's got to be just before next week's episode bucks and nets and warriors and lakers double header oh yeah nba is back baby and we get a look at certainly three contenders maybe four yeah how about yourself mate uh, well i can't say my colts because they fucking choked to the baltimore ravens today they were up 25-9 at one point and lost in ot so instead i will say the chiefs and bills because i haven't watched that game yet Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blacks.